You are now tuned into I Shaved My Ass for This, a podcast about all things dating and desire from the perspective of those on the margins. Here's your host, Natalia Lee Brown. Hello, hello, hello. We are back, back again, another week. Thank you for joining me. Did y'all know that 44% of all podcasts only have three episodes or less? 44%. Well, not us. Not over here, okay? This is episode number four. We made it. <laughs> yes. Um, this week's topic is sex work. And in particular, the sugar baby, sugar daddy dynamic. And before we even get into all of that, I just wanted to do a little housekeeping because, you know, we're new friends. You're new here. I'm new to you. The show is new. And there are a couple of things that I just wanted to put out there before we get into our conversation. This is a space where we are sex positive and we are sex worker positive. That is not to be confused with sex trafficking positive. We are not into that. But I Shave My Ass for This is a show that is a safe space for sex workers. And I also, as a host, truly believe and acknowledge the fact that we live under capitalism. (laughs) And we're not all given the same bag of tools to fight in the society with. It's harder for some people than it is for others. And for some people, sex work is a viable option in order to elevate their lives or just to get out of a really fucked up situation. So whatever reason that people come to sex work with, I believe that it's all valid. I believe that it should be respected. And I do my best to come into conversations with sex workers without any sort of prejudice or preconceived notions, because I don't know, you know, and having conversations about topics that I know little about is an opportunity for me to learn. And if you feel yourself at any point in this conversation being judgmental or having a bias or what have you, I invite you to acknowledge it and to use that as an opportunity to be curious about a lifestyle, about situations, about a world that you may not be familiar with and may never come into contact with. It's so interesting to me that sex work is one of these professions where the people providing a very in-demand service are the ones who are stigmatized the most. It's legal some places, it's not legal others. There's various forms from the models on OnlyFans to the porn you may consume, to massage parlors, to, you know, just the regular people walking the street. I believe that it's all valid (laughs) for the vast majority of people on the face of this earth. If they don't work, they don't eat, they don't have a safe place to sleep, they more than likely lose autonomy over their lives. So however they go about getting by, a lot of times is very necessary. So another thing about this show is that all of my guests have been really generous and forthcoming with the stories that they tell and have really demonstrated a high level of vulnerability, 
openness, just transparency that I really appreciate. And the show would be nothing without it. And I only think it's fair at the beginning of each episode, before we get into the conversation, that I share a story based on the topic. So without further ado, let's get into a little bit of story time. Let's go to a time many moons away when I was in university and I was living in a damp dorm in the Bay Area. I was working at my university's call center where we called alumni. You could have been graduated for 80 years or you could have just graduated yesterday. The university didn't care. We called everybody and tried to solicit them for donations. And a lot of people weren't happy about it. <laughs> you know, and I don't blame them because while I was there, I made sure to put myself preemptively on the do not call list because what the hell? It was expensive. So I'm doing that work. It's not great. I'm getting, you know, coins at the end of my shift. And it's just not adding up. <laughs> it is just not adding up. I am not an extravagant girl, but I do like nice things here and there. And I was trying to think of a way to make some money that really wouldn't interfere with my studies. Not like I've ever been a great student, but you know, I had a job to do, school was first, X, Y, Z. And around that time, a lot of news shows, like news magazine shows, were really fascinated with the dynamic of sugar baby, sugar daddy relationships. I think that Ashley Madison and Seeking Arrangements were newer websites. And once that hit the mainstream, people just went so crazy. There were a slew of stories and videos about this dynamic and kind of sensationalizing the whole world. You know, usually they would have interviews with these women who were just so done up, honey, nails, hair, heels, scantily clad, but like in a classy way, you know? And they would interview them and the interviews would take place at the top of some kind of big city high rise and these wide-eyed girls. And sometimes guys would just lavish the interviewer with stories about how their sugar daddy, <laughs> about how their sugar daddy took them to Paris for their birthday girl and got them a Chanel bag and an expensive watch that you've never heard of. And, you know, dinners and champagne and experiences. And all they did was sign up for this website and, you know, their life changed. And now they're rubbing elbows with the rich, you know? And <laughs> I was probably in my late teens, early twenties. And I was like, that looks tight. Like the fuck am I doing here, you know? calling people, getting yelled at, counting out my change to see if I had enough money for a latte. I was like, fuck this. I want to get like them. So I signed up for one of these websites and I hadn't had any experience with older men. All the people that I dated were my age around. I maybe dated somebody who was five years older than me, I think at the time. Yeah, maybe. So I was going into this really green, really, really green. I was not only young in age, I was just young in mentality. And the site did not yield the results I was hoping. 
I spoke to the majority of men on the site, through the site. It didn't really go any farther than that. It was pretty obvious that there wasn't a meeting of the minds in terms of expectations. And, you know, a lot of these guys just had like weird fetishes that I hadn't heard of, that I wasn't down for. And I still wouldn't be down for it to this day, to be completely honest. A lot of like race play, a lot of daddy daughter kind of stuff. And I was like, what the, where, where's the trip to Paris? Where's the designer bag? That's what I'm here for. I'm not here for this weird shit. Not to King's shame, but like weird shit, you know? And there's one person who made it through that app chat process. He seemed like a really nice guy. He was probably in his 50s at the time. Seemed kind of shy, unassuming, really kept up good conversation for quite some time. And before we agreed to meet, I was like, let me meet this man via FaceTime. Let me meet him and just see what's going on. So we FaceTimed or, I don't know, Zoomed or I don't know what we did. Some technological seeing of the face. And, you know, I got this man on the screen and noticed that he didn't have any teeth. And not like in an I'm so elderly kind of way. And not like in I'm recovering from substance kind of way. And like, I just don't give a fuck kind of way. (laughs) His grill was messed up. And I was like, first, you. Second, how the hell are you going to subsidize my lifestyle when you can't even get your setup together? This isn't adding up. You know, like, where are you going? What high price job are you doing? Or what kind of lifestyle are you living where that's okay? And so, you know, I wasn't rude about it. I had enough sense back then not to be rude. He was still very kind, but I was like, this, this can't happen. And it didn't go any farther than that. After that conversation, I lost all hope. You know, it had probably been like two weeks knowing myself. I was like, I'll never find somebody. In hindsight, that just wasn't the situation for me. I'm not the most accommodating person. I'm not the greatest transformer. Um, So I don't think I would have garnered much success in that realm, but your girl did try and failed. So with that, (laughs) please welcome my guest today, Tara Timberman. So I'm back here, another episode, another guest with the lovely Tara Timberman. Hey, Tara. Hi, Natalia. (laughs) What's going on? Not much. Just happy to see you after so long. I know. It's been a a hot second. So thank you so much for sitting down with me. Thank you. I ask all my guests to start off the conversation. um, How do you identify and who do you usually date? I am a this hetero woman, you know, she, her, I'm a she, her, and I've always been a she, her, even though I can't stand heteronormative relationships and I'm white, 30 or 38, I'm 43 years old, <laughs> 43 years old, white California resident. Uh, and I've always dated men, uh, cis hetero men and They've always been artists, 
and rebels and, you know, bad boys and <laughs> bad news. And that's why I do sex work now. <laughs> and this is the first time that you're sitting down and talking about doing sex work. Why did you decide to open up now? Yeah, well, thank you for asking. It has been like a very deliberate move to start talking about this because I feel that by me sharing my story, because I have you know a life as a friend of many and a performer and, and an academic or somebody who's like really interested in my studies, I wanted to share my story just to engage with a larger discourse about what sex workers look like because it's not what most people think. It can be very normal, very down to earth, very intentional work, or just, you know, blase, but like it can be anything. So I just wanted to kind of humanize that idea of who a sex worker might be for some people because it's been so stigmatized and right. patriarchy still runs so deep in how we perceive loose women. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, I think the real kicker is that when we are perceiving these loose women or slut shaming them, it's like you're asking us to get married, to provide sex for someone who's going to take care of us, who's going to be financial. Most traditional marriages are like that. So I just started feeling like there wasn't really that much difference in how you perform sex for your husband or how you perform it for a client. And this is a real liberatory practice for a lot of women to find agency without having to be married. For those of you who don't know, Tara, what is sugaring exactly? Oh, good question. I actually am like the, not the most educated with all of the terms, but I would just say it's getting money, sugar, (laughs) sugar in the form of money from a sugar daddy. And so you would be a sugar baby and the sugar daddy wants to take care of you. So it can either be money or exchanges of whatever type, but basically like they take care of you in whatever capacity you agree upon. And so you're currently a sugar baby and have been for how long? I think started in about 2018. Okay. So maybe like five years. Okay. Yeah. And I guess I want to start your life pre-sugar and what led you to seeking that kind of arrangement out? Yeah, it was a lot of events. It was actually something I didn't ever think I would do when I was in my 20s and early 30s. Not because of any like prejudices I had, but just like I didn't think that I would be able to do that because I've never really had like one night stands. I've never really like wanted to be in these very casual relationships. Okay. And I was such a lover and such a romantic in my 20s. And I feel like that was really the root of what happened to lead me here because I gave... (laughs) so much to my relationships i was like head over heels obsessed with people probably way too much and then like was just like i'll be with you till the end of time like really give them everything and one after the next they all just broke my heart oh and then yeah just tragic yeah tragedy after tragedy for a little old libra me oh but then i think towards that time around 2018 or 2019, I was just getting so fed up with it because all of these people that had broken my heart in the past were like coming back around and begging me to marry them and begging me to be their (laughs) 
baby mama. And I was like, what is this cursed blueprint? Like, how is it always, it just never works for me. Like right. the timing is never right. And by the time they come back around realizing I was the one that got away, they're, I'm over them. Right. So I was just like, okay, I think I'm doomed. I think that I'm doomed for relationships, but also really just so sick of the guys I was dating at that time right. and the double standards about how they could be slutty, but they had to hold me up to this pristine Madonna archetype that I couldn't be like that or right. that or that my presentation through my music was too slutty oh. or something. So there was so much uncomfortable judgment around that time and also just coupled with how un stimulated I was intellectually from these relationships right that I was just like I don't see me finding a guy but I feel like I'm a very sexual very loving person and I've always really developed tools to please <laughs> <laughs> so I am a pleaser and I had this like you know this excess of demand for my affection and I had the affection to give but what I didn't have was money Right. And so I did have a couple friends who had been doing sugar work. Okay. And I really thought they were so cool. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I so admire that. It just sounds really, really amazing. And so they kind of gave me some pointers about how it works, even just like really practical stuff. Like I have mm -hmm. one friend who was kind of like my madame for a moment. And she like really was like, this is how you could do your hair. This is how you would negotiate on the phone beforehand or, okay. you know, get to know them, have a couple dates first. This is, you might want to wear like lots of strappy lingerie. And she was a bunny. She was a Playboy bunny. Oh, so okay. I think her clientele would, is different than mine. <laughs> but it was like pointers like that. That was like, okay, cool. Cause I was such a feral, like I am such a feral. Like I don't know how to do my hair. I've never like been that person. So it was just kind of like, taking it a step further, getting my nails done, getting my hair done, and uh, learning how to do my makeup. But most of these guys didn't really care about that, the guys that I really connected with. Mm. The other part was this part about my worth, about my self-worth and okay. my labor and how I was getting paid for it because mm. I felt like I was really starting to learn about socioeconomic mobility and how I was raised basically on the poverty line, never had money. Money was always a big, big tension in our house. I've always had this feeling like I want to go to school. I want to do these things with my life. I feel like I have so much to offer, but I've always had to really work my ass off in order right. to get it. And so when it comes down to it, I can't be the piano player that I want to be if I have a nine to five job. And I can't be the artist that I want to be if I have a nine to five job. Right. And my labor is just extracted in the form of hourly wages and given maybe $30 an hour at tops yeah. for, you know, untrained labor. And so I just started thinking, like, I need to capitalize on my time and what I can really give and what I can, how I can extract the most from my hours. And so it just kind of all came together. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to go on seeking arrangements. Okay, so that's how you got started was going on seeking arrangements. Yeah. Okay, because earlier we were talking about just the sensationalization of sugaring. And I think that that came about because people were just like guffawed at 
the concept of like a website, you know, like I think it's Seeking Arrangements and like Ashley Madison are like yeah. the big triggering ones. Yeah. And people are like, well, what is this heresy, you know? <laughs> and so like the news media kind of jumped on it and picked like this, the most stereotypical representations totally. of people who engage in that kind of sex work. We diverted a little bit from my usual format where I asked for like an icebreaker. But um, we don't need to do that. What I'm curious, so you're on Seeking Arrangements. Could you kind of go into like what it was like getting your first date and then going on your first date? Yeah. Let me think about that. I'd have to go back in time. Um, I think I got really lucky because, well, I also really filtered out the scumbags by how I wrote my profile Mm. there and like the things I that I said I was interested in and just like really saying that I'm a normal person and I'm, you know, have these academic interests, kind of just really being personal on there and also telling them what my age was because at that point I was in my late 30s. Okay. So that was also kind of a, probably filtered out a lot of the people that just want like these 18-year-old little bunnies. And then I, you know, obviously posted some photos of me (laughs) scantily clad and I would have conversations with them online and I feel like the first one I had was this guy won't name his name but I saw him several times after this too and he was so hot he was so nice and cool and smart like someone I would actually date probably yeah and uh I just like went over there I was like you don't even have to pay me because I just (laughs) like you're so hot and I was like okay but then we just it was a hookup you know and then he um okay he gave me five hundred dollars and i don't know that's cheap for some people but for me at that point it was you know i wasn't really experienced so that was my rate at that point you know for like an hour or two so that happened and then there was a couple other interactions with other people it was a process where i would first filter them through the texting and then i would go to have coffee with them mm-hmm. and if we clicked we'll go for coffee again or for dinner again and okay. then the third date I would go into an arrangement but with that guy actually I don't even think that was process I think I just like went over to his house and I like sent my location to a couple friends yeah and was like I'm going in here I go here she goes and like in a few hours I texted my friends back like holy shit I love this like he just made me so he made me feel so hot and so good about myself and then I had money I just got a little paycheck yeah so yeah it was like that was the first encounter which was so blessed and amazing and then I really had some really really cool arrangements over the years and there was some losers for sure there was like a couple bad experiences, but nothing too bad. Nothing like what I experienced outside of the sugar work. Right. <laughs> I mean, because when you were describing kind of your life before and all the labor that you were doing and that coupled with just the heartbreak, it could kind of leave somebody feeling depleted, you know? Yeah. Like just emotionally depleted. Yeah. And so I think that it's not talked about enough, just the amount of emotional labor that women do in especially like heterosexual relationships yep you can't quantify like i give you this and then you give me that with emotional labor but it does kind of take the edge off and it does kind of lessen any sort of animosity that might develop 
if there is a financial incentive. <laughs> if you can describe kind of like just the life of sugaring, like it's not just money for sex. No, I mean, for some people it is. Okay. Yeah. I think it's called the hierarchy. It's like a hierarchy of sex work. Okay. And there are certainly plenty of people on there that are just doing out hourly wages or uh -huh. like they have a price sheet. There's all types. And I feel like that's actually pretty common is that type that type of sex work online, which is basically standard sex work. It's not street work, but it's online sex work. Right. And then um and then the sugar baby thing, it divides into these different categories. There's a pay per meet, which is you're getting paid every time you meet. Okay. You have a set rate and that's a pay per meet. And then there is what I ended up doing was like the girlfriend experience. Okay. And that's uh, that's where the labor really comes in. And I think that when I was introduced to this hierarchy, it was like the actual like sugar baby arrangement is the most exploitative because you really oh. can't quantify how much that emotional labor takes. And that's a huge part of what it is. Okay. The sexual labor is very, very tiny. Right. Compared to the friendship that you provide, the intimacy, the counsel the entertainment, the care, the checking in through text, calling and asking questions about how their day is and all that stuff. Okay. So another week, no sponsors, but we continue because I still have stuff to talk about. This week, staying on topic, I want to ask you guys a question. When's the last time you've been tested? I was talking to a 25 year old the other day and he was absolutely guffawed that I knew people his age who were testing positive for HIV, that I've known quite a few people who have tested positive for HIV. I know a lot of people who have a lot of things. And I think that we are living in a world, especially with things like COVID being spoken about and you know, sex education programs being cut where you might think that you're not susceptible, but if you are human and have a body and you are having sex, you could get an STD. And while STDs are normal, and while I hate the fact that there's so much stigma around an HIV diagnosis, the best thing you can do for yourself is to stay informed. If you are having sex with one partner, with multiple partners, if you're having sex for fun or for work, best thing you can do is to know your status. Here in London, there's a really great program called Sexual Health London. They will send you a test kit to your home in the mail discreetly, and you can just mail it back in and get your results. Back where I'm from in the US, sadly, there's been a massive cut to sexual health, but if a Planned Parenthood still exists where you live, they will give you low or no cost testing. There are mail-in programs that I will link in the bio where you could get sexual health testing at a cost, but a low cost. And just know your status, you know? Majority of STDs can be cured. If you are found to have something that isn't curable, it is not the end of the world. But now you have the information to manage it. We only get one body in this life. And it's our responsibility to take care of it. It's also our responsibility to know what's going on with that body 
if we are intimately interacting with other people. So ask yourself, when's the last time you've been tested? If it's been a minute, if you've had a few partners since then, just go and get the information. It's no big deal. All right, bye. The exploitation comes in where you feel like, oh, I don't want to see this person this week. I just don't feel like it. Or I have to go away for a couple of weeks, go out of town, hang out with my friends and my family. And, um, and then they would get in their feelings about that. And also like just checking, you have to like check in all the time and like actually be that person's girlfriend, which is a whole nother set of uh, requirements that like pay per meet doesn't have. And so I would think that, you know, based on where somebody is in their life and kind of their personality, different clients gravitate towards different kinds of sex work experience, right? Yeah. And so with your clients, now that you've been doing this for a few years, is there like an archetypical kind of client that you engage with or are they kind of all different? Uh, they've really differed over the years, but I'll just look at the three main arrangements that I've had. I guess what my, the type that likes me are like these very educated, very liberal kind of single men who they really appreciate my realness and my intellect and just the down to earthness of who I am. It's like a real relationship mm -hmm. in that way where they would also be somebody that I could potentially be with because of their politics and because of the way that they move through life and just the, the things that they stand for. Okay. So yeah, and then they're usually older, definitely. Age is like a factor. Most of my clients that I would still have maybe would be like in their 60s. Okay. It's just enough of an age gap where we can go out together and they feel like it's not obvious that it's an right, arrangement. Right. Like I'm actually someone who might be qualified in the category of my age to date them. Right. So that's a factor for a lot of them. And they don't want me to wear like super slutty clothes when we go out or anything like that. Right. Because that would be like a giveaway. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. They want it to appear that they have, you know, I'm their actual lover, their girlfriend. Okay. And how much do you have to like the people that you're in arrangements with for the arrangement to continue? Uh, I have to like them. Yeah. I have to enjoy being with them. Okay. I mean, there's de there's definitely been moments where I didn't like them very much, but they had such a good offer <laughs> that I just couldn't, <laughs> you know, and I felt safe. Like, I never, yeah. I, I always have to feel safe, and I always have to feel like they respect me. It's actually been really easy to do, easy to find that. Like, if there's a long-term arrangement, I won't go back to it if I don't like them. Okay. I want to change gears a little bit and go back to you in terms of just the internal aspect of this work. What are the positives and the negatives that you've noticed in your life, either emotionally after providing such like laborious girlfriend experience? Are there things that kind of weigh on you or that you find liberating about the work? Uh, mostly it's liberating, mm -hmm. to be honest. It also has given me this sense of value around that intimacy work that I do that I just don't feel was appreciated in, in my regular relationships. You know, I'm providing th this care and this love and this nurturing and this safety for people that haven't never had it. Okay. And they really 
seek that. They seek that real connection. You know, you might say it's a performative act, but that's okay. Even if it's slightly genuine, which I feel like I always am. But I also feel like it goes back to, you know, the courtesans of ancient China or like these women were these cultural forces. They were really respected because they would kind of civilize the men through their performance, through literature, through poetry, that it like really feels like that a lot of the time where it's a job that I feel like has meaning, has real meaning, that these men need this and that I can provide it. And so there's been this whole level of self-esteem that's come out of that about feeling like, wow, I really am good at this. And I really think that I could see the results and I could see how it's changed people's lives. And then also just the financial security has been huge for me. Right. It's right. been huge. So it's really been a blessing. I was wondering, like, how has it changed your life? Oh, God, tremendously. My choice to go back to school was really coming from, like, having a sugar daddy who was very educated and really supportive of that and really believed in me and was kind of being my cheerleader mentor about going back to school. And uh, so, you know, I got my GED while, while I was doing sugar work. I got out of the music industry kind of still in it, but like the, I have a new album <laughs> paid for probably by all right. the, you know, I got all the producing and mixing done with money that I got from my sugar work. It's really just been like the perfect support for me as I've gone back to school. Very nice. And you mentioned that you came out publicly about doing sex work last year. It was probably the beginning of this year when I had an interview through Voyage LA magazine. And I just mentioned briefly within all the other occupations I've held that I've been a sex worker. And that was it. Yeah. So this is an opportunity for me to actually talk about it for yeah. the first time ever. Right. And I came out to my sister after that. I haven't come out to my mom yet. Um, but I don't really care if she hears this or if any of my crushes hear this, this is something that I'm going to be open about because I think it's really important to understand, especially because there's so many men who feel entitled to sex, yeah. feel entitled to women's bodies. Totally. And they don't know how to be good men and they don't know how to be good partners. And so this work is, is meant for those men to civilize them and for them to freaking pay for it because... Right. They are the ones, you know, who have been raised to follow these professions, to just be the provider of financial needs, but not of emotional needs, not of space or of social needs or, you know, any of these really important things that women need in order to want to be with a man. I feel as women have become more financially autonomous and also have really leaned into their communities for the emotional support that they need men have gotten really threatened by it yeah and i think that that's kind of the wrong approach because women aren't asking for much we're asking for emotional maturity we're asking for consistency and transparency and guys are acting like <laughs> they're gonna the male offspring is gonna be killed at birth and it's supposed to be a society of women and we need to stop it and so they get more brutal and hardcore when actually there needs to be a softening to the approach 
And so seeing sugaring work or girlfriend experience work as a conduit to that is so interesting because I never thought about it like that. When you came out to your sister, what was the response? Yeah, that was such an amazing moment because her and her husband are some of my best friends that I go down there. They live near San Diego and we have had so many late nights where we've been partying and or just, you know, drinking. And they're always asking me about my love life. So over the years, I've been saying, oh, I'm dating this guy right now. And I'm dating this guy right now. And they're like, Are, do you really love him? What's his story? And I'm like, mm, like kind of secretive about everything. Okay. And that sometimes I've mentioned, like, he's got money. He takes care of me a little bit. So I've said that to her and to my mom and to my brother-in-law. And they've always been like, are you being a little gold digger? I never like, I don't want to come off that way at all, but right. I've, I've never been able to explain the real context of the relationship mm-hmm. or what the exchange is. And so coming out to her and just saying, hey, I've had these clients, I've had these daddies over the years that have really taken care of me and have completely changed my self-image for the better. And I feel like I have weight, like my self-worth is actually being acknowledged and I feel like I'm fulfilling a role that's necessary and I feel financially liberated. So I got to tell her and she was not judgy at all. Oh, she was like, it was, I didn't know, I didn't know, but she was like, I trust you. She trusted that I would make the right decisions and mm-hmm. that she was, she was just happy that it's been a positive experience for me. That's beautiful, thank God. So you mentioned when you started in the business that you didn't have your GED. You had since gotten your GED. Now you're at a very prestigious university. You're looking at grad school. Your life has changed a lot since you started this. And as a result, I'm guessing that you've changed quite a bit. When you project into the future, how do you see sugaring fitting into your life, if at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that you don't want to do forever or rely on forever. And yeah. it's had its complications because of yeah, many reasons why these arrangements have ended. Usually that I'm not giving enough or I'm too detached. Really? So, yeah. That's the, that's the most common reason why. That's for me. Okay. A lot of times the woman, the baby gets too attached and it, it, stifles the independence of the, the daddy. Right. So for me, though, it's been that I've been detached and maybe haven't checked in enough on text or like don't act like I care enough. <laughs> it never ends. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, do, I really did think, okay, I'm really not suited for this because I just can't fake caring anymore, you mm-hmm. know, and I just really don't feel good about that. But, uh, But right now I have a couple clients that are so awesome and so understanding and know who I am. We've been in this for many, many years together now. So it's like I don't have to change. I don't have to be quiet. I don't have to tell them things that I don't mean. Mm. So those I see being the future of like my sex work if I don't if I don't come into an actual relationship that I love. If there was somebody listening to this who has thought about getting into sugaring or maybe romanticizes the line of work what's what's some advice that you would have for them that's important because it's not for everyone 
you have to really want to do it and just know your ethics and know why you're doing it. And for me, not wanting to slave to just have these wage uh, salaries, like hourly wages, and wanting to develop as an artist and as an academic, those were the reasons that justified it for me. But if you're just wanting to get paid and you don't have really like ethical reasons for doing it, well, I don't think there's any problem with that at all. I think that that's just, you have to commit to that. Okay. Because once you start it, it will live with you forever. But I feel like I came at it with a real strong sense of who I was and with a real determined mission of what I was going to get out of it. And I still feel that way. How do you maintain boundaries within certain arrangements? <sighs> it's hard. That's the part that feels icky to me when I think about it. When I think about what were the downsides, it was just feeling like, I've let this person too far into my life. It's not a sexual thing. It's not an intimacy thing. It's like a personal thing that comes up for me when I feel like someone is really needing to be in my space, Mm. my space emotionally, physically, psychically. And so that's the weird part for sure is like I had a daddy who would come over to my house and usually I don't have that. This was like a major relationship for years and he wanted to come to my house. And so it was like the kind of thing where my house is my my temple and sanctuary. Right, and I right. feel like this is where I really am myself. Right. So when I brought that work home, it made me feel like I had to perform in my own house in a certain way. Okay. And that made me feel gross because it really made me feel like I was betraying myself in my own sanctuary, in my own sacred space. And I wasn't sure how to navigate that situation on the one hand he was giving me enough money to be able to fully live the life that i wanted to live and have this house and be able to go to school and be able to study and practice my piano and all these things that i wanted so on the one hand it was giving me so much freedom and on the other hand i felt compromised a little bit okay so we're gonna come to the end but before we do on this topic on your experiences is there anything that i haven't touched on that you would like to share what I wanted to kind of veer into like what I've learned about the hetero dynamic between and the power dynamic of that a lot of masculine identifying people want to have learning the language and the process of being that receptive female presence was like learning crazy weapon it's a, it's crazy it's huh. really crazy and I don't want to say weapon in any light sense but Really, it can be weaponized because, yeah. and I, I never knew that. I never knew that there would be things that I would, that I could do or say or not say, right, or not do that will give me power in the relationship, and that is the weird subtext of all of this. Is just how this work can really teach you about what men want, and it's fucked up. Really, <laughs> I've just learned a lot about the moments that you can really get them hooked. And, you know, some will say I'm, it's manipulative or it's toxic, but they want that. That's right. what they want. That's what they're demanding from me. That's what they pay for. Like all of the work that I've done on myself as an intellectual person, you know, or as right. like an artist, like that actually, you just kind of like the idea of that. You don't actually want to be challenged. Mm. You want to think that she's smart because she's with you. Yeah. So I'm with a smart girl and that gives me more power. 
but they don't actually care that you're smart when it comes down to it. I like to give my guests the last word. So if there's any kind of advice um, for people, especially femme and women, uh, femme identifying people and women who are dealing with that power dynamic, it might not necessarily be in a sugaring situation, but we all deal with the same kinds of dynamics that you spoke of. Yeah. And um, what kind of advice do you have for the listeners to navigate something like that? Oh, never sell yourself short. Just know your power yeah. and don't take any shit from any of these guys. Make them work for it. Make them know what value you're giving to the relationship or just giving to them by hanging out with them, by taking the time for them. Your time is so valuable and your sexuality is so valuable and so sacred and so important. And it's time for all of us to really understand that and leverage it because it's through our sexuality that these men will be able to understand how to treat women. And I really feel like this, is, this isn't for everyone, like I said, but for those girls who want to do it, I support you. Believe in yourself. Be very careful. Always meet them first. Always wear a condom. Yeah. <laughs> Always negotiate the terms before you meet them. And have fun. And know that you're giving them something that's really, really valuable. I got so engrossed in that conversation that I forgot to do the final part, which was to ask Tara where the people can find her. So allow me the honors. She's on Instagram at metal underscore mother. And in the link in her bio, you'll see all sorts of links to her music, her activism, some of the articles written about her. Um, really cool stuff. She is just such a creative. She's such a talent. And I feel so honored to be her first interview about this thoroughly. I really hope I did it justice. Thank you, Tara. I learned something. Listener, I hope you learned something. And, you know, we'll learn together. Um, that concludes our fourth week of I Shave My Ass for This. As always, you can find me on socials. Um, I'm not really good at socials. I'm coming to find out. I knew this, but I've never been good at social media, but I'm trying. Maybe I need to show a tit. Maybe I need to release exclusive content. I don't know. But join me on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, all under the hashtag I shave my ass for this and be one of the first to find out what I do. I am also going to take a little moment for some self-promotion. This episode is being released on November the 23rd. And on November the 24th, I have a movie coming out. It will be on Hulu for all of my American girlies and VPN warriors as well if you want to check it out. The movie is called Cypher and it stars hip-hop artist extraordinaire Tierra Wack. It is a weird movie. It is so cool. The director, Chris McCarble, just did an awesome job and I'm really proud of the work that we did. If you don't know what I look like, I make a little cameo in there as well, so a little added bonus and yeah enjoy you know i'll be back here same time same place every thursdays so i hope to see you next week 
And until then, be safe, be kind, and be you.